Okay. MashaAllah. How's everyone doing? Good. All right. So I'm going to begin by feel kind of funny today. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Just forgive me in advance. Um, blame the heat. Huh? Blame the heat. Blame the heat. Blame the heat, yeah. No, it's something that's not... And it's not like good or bad or anything. I just, I don't feel like I normally do. So, I'm going to try to be a little bit less I'm going to try to control myself a little bit more. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I know I'm, I'm boring enough as it is, but I'm going to try to control myself even more because, I don't know, something's, uh, and that's dangerous. When you're teaching, it's dangerous to, to not be uh, kind of like settled. Um, when I was reading from Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi recently, rahimahullah, he has one of the most famous works on the etiquettes of like the student and the teacher and stuff like that and fiqihun and in one of the sections he talks about how like if the teacher is hungry and they're going to go out to teach and they find that they're hungry then they should stop and eat and then they should go and he says that like it's because the teacher has to make sure that they're really like even keeled kind of when they go to teach otherwise that's going to affect how they deal with other people. Um, and I think like for people who are in this work, that's probably the hardest thing about this work is that, and probably therapists can understand this too. And I think uh, like one of the great challenges is that people expect you to always be ready to do whatever it is that they want you to do. So like to answer some question or to deal with some situation or to handle some problem or whatever else it might be. And sometimes you just can't, you know? And uh, you know, like, okay, if I deal with this right now, this person really needs an answer. But if I call this person right now, I'm for sure going to give them an answer that's not what it should be. Because there's just like, there's some, some issue here. You know, maybe you're frustrated about something, maybe you're tired, maybe you're whatever else it might be. Um, <coughs> So I'm going to try to control myself. Who knows, maybe as I start going, we'll get into a little groove and inshallah everything will be okay. So Bismillah wa salatu wa salam wa rasulullah. Qala al-musannifu rahimahullah ta'ala wa nafana Allahu iyahu bi alumi fi al-darain. Ameen. We left off on this section on not seeking a worldly objective. 
This section is really gamut. I don't know how you translate that to English, but it's really gamut. Like it's it's a heavy section. This is probably probably like one of the most relevant sections of the book for the average person and for teachers. This is to remind you we're on chapter four, which is the etiquette of teachers and students of the Quran. Chapter four is on the etiquette of teachers and students of the Quran. So it has a number of subsections. The first section is not seeking a worldly objective. As usual, I'll read from it and then we'll comment, inshallah. Uh, as a pop quiz, why do we, not we as in me, plural, but like we as at the Majlis generally, why do we like to teach from texts? Anyone? Ani. Connects you to the tradition. Okay, good. Anyone else have anything? Um, I think because it's grounded and it has like a lot of ijma. Okay, it's grounded in a sense like if you're reading something that's in a text, especially if it's old, there's a level at which it's been kind of like vetted, you know? It's And, and it's there, you can go back to it. Okay, anyone else? Yeah? So then nothing is lost in translation, okay, yeah, that's part of why we read it uh, word by word, right, so why we kind of like go word by word is so that we make sure we understand each piece, and there might be pieces where you're like, ah, this translation maybe is a little bit different, this, tra- this expression, we don't really understand it, but all of that then teaches the person how to read the text, right, so that you don't have to read like every single text with the teacher, because it's very impractical, <laughs> there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of books you can't read them all with the teacher right okay anyone else have anything yeah you're connecting to the baraka of the tradition and the lineage of the, the writers and the authors yeah you connect to the baraka of the tradition and to the lineage of the writers and the authors and so on yeah absolutely chaplain sundas something about people not taking it personally either so coming from the book you're not targeting in this specific yeah yeah, it's not, it's not personal. You know, it's in there. You read it, you go through it. The other thing is that when you do that, it gives you a chance to touch on a broader uh, actual category of topics. Like if you come and you just speak every week, you're going to necessarily deal with whatever is on your head. But when you go through a text, the text will take you in many different directions. Um, which also brings up an important point about going to weekly things, which obviously is speaking to the choir here. But um, I think that what a lot of people are losing right now in their understanding of their religion is that they're mostly engaging with it through online resources and not usually structured online things. So it's like you read a post, you listen to a clip, you engage with this thing or that thing. So you get a lot of different pieces, but they don't come together in like some sort of organized way. And so what that means is there's a lot of gaps and the experience over time doesn't kind of like fill into something that's whole. Okay, anyone else have anything on reading text? So that when you read the text, you can have the, you can buy the text, and you go back and you read it afterwards, you can see your notes that you took, you can, uh, you can go and you can teach it to other people, you can, um, you can review it much more easily, like you don't have to go back and listen to hours of content, you can open the book and kind of like get a quick review of what you covered. There's many, many benefits, actually. 
Okay, Bismillah. And part of, again, the reason why, like, there's this expression, there's this one video I was watching one time, and the Shaykh who was in the video was saying about this method of teaching from text. He was like, it's the old school methodology, and it's produced generation upon generation of people of knowledge. And there was something, it was like such a quick line, but it really struck me. Because it was like, how oh, there's something that's true about that. Like this is, I'll tell you why. Because I rejected this methodology. Okay, I've told you guys this before. Like a lot of, a lot of what we do here is a correction for ourselves. <laughs> because like we re I rejected this methodology. I thought like it's too slow. It takes too much time, stuff like that, right? And the reality of it is like when you go through a text properly, it does something for you that it doesn't do if you just go through it really kind of haphazardly uh, or very quickly. When you go through it, it takes more time, but it's, it's good to do it in that way. And actually one of the, I think, good things that they did in, in, the, in Al-Azhar in the current modern like curriculum is that they tried to combine between these two things. Like there's a reality that sometimes you need to just lecture through stuff so you can finish content. And then because when you go word by word, it takes a really long time, right? <clears throat> but then there's also the reality that you also need to study word by word so you can gain that strength. So what they did like in the College of Sharia, for example, is that you do both. In like Fiqh Hanafi, for example, Hanafi Fiqh, for example, in the College of Sharia, you have a section for the year that you read from the Hidayah, which you actually read the classical text. And then, but it'll only be small portions. And then they'll have like a textbook that you cover all of Ibadat. So you cover all of Ibadat, like acts of worship, and you get all of the information you need. And it's very kind of like more broad. And then you have the section from the text, you learn how to read the text. Because you can't spend your whole, it takes a really long time. Like most, most of the time you don't have time for it. Um, You know, who's going to sit in the class? One of the classes that I'm trying to finish, I, I, I'm having a hard time finishing it. It's like 150, 170 hours, right? If you go word by word. And he's kind of even doing a fast commentary. <laughs> so it's going to take you like 300 hours to go through a medium fiqh level, fiqh text. You have to go through all the other ones too. Like it's going to take a lot of hours, you know? So alhamdulillah the internet is helping with this too. Because before, if you were going to do that, you go once a week to the sheikh. It's going to take you like six, seven years to go through a text, right? Because if you go once a week, and it's an hour, hour and a half, and you need 300 sessions, you only have 40, 50 weeks in the year, it's going to take you six, seven years to finish the text, which it did. Like some of our uh, classmates who finished the Hashit and Bajuri and Fiqh Shafi with Sheikh Imad Afatullah it took him seven years. He taught twice a week at Masjid al-Azhar, it took him seven years from beginning to end. It's going to take a long time, right? But now with the internet, seven years, you can actually listen to it. Like, you can sit and listen every day, finish it much quicker. It's not the same, but it's good. Anyways, not seeking a worldly objective. Not seeking a worldly objective. One studies and teaching must not be for the purpose of attaining some worldly objective, such as wealth, leadership, influence, status above one's peers, gaining people's praise, or drawing others' attention to oneself. Allah Most High says, Whoever desires the immediate gains of this world, we hasten what we will to whomever we will. This is where we stopped last time. We read this first paragraph and then we stopped. 
remember. This first paragraph is really, um, it's quite jarring. I think that, you know, again, there's things that we have to spend time with and then we have to also get through things. There's things that it's good to kind of read them more than once. Uh, take them kind of like as a, you know, you might find a passage that is particularly striking. So what you do with that passage that's particularly striking is that you write it down and like, if there's no name of Allah in it, put it on your mirror in your bathroom, put it in a mirror in your bedroom, something like that, right? So that every morning I can read this passage. Because I want to read the passage until it becomes part of me. And this is why these texts used to be memorized for that reason. You know, you sit down, you memorize the text, it becomes part of you. And, uh, you know, I mean, look at this paragraph. This paragraph runs contrary to pretty much the entirety of our Muslim scene. Uh, as it stands right now. One's studies and teaching must not be for the purpose of attaining some worldly objective such as wealth, leadership, influence, status above one's peers, gaining people's praise, or drawing others' attention to oneself. These are all like mahalik, you know? The things that destroy you. Destroy the person, destroy their reward. So they don't see some any worldly objective, such as wealth, obviously is a big one. You know, if you do things in a certain way, you can gain a certain following. If you gain a certain following, then everyone can do the math, right? If you sell your, if you sell your webinar for ten dollars, you sell your webinar for fifty dollars, and you get, you know, a thousand people because you had your blog and you had this thing and you did your social media posts and you watched all your statistics and you did all your analytics and you got everything in the right place and now I got enough followers and. You know, sometimes people even go to the extent of buying followers, which is a very strange phenomenon. And then, uh, you know, all of these things, and then you get the money. But, you know, this, this marketing thing that we're in right now, it's very scary. It's very scary. And it might be here. I remember reading it recently, but it might not be here. But there's a beautiful quote of Imam al-Shafi, where he said that... Um, he said, I wish the people would learn from me this knowledge and they would, they would, they would, they learn it from me and they forget that they took it from me. Like, you can play your part in it, it passes on, and then it just goes away. It's only between the person and Allah. And of course, because he felt that way, <laughs> he's the, he's the, you know, his knowledge is preserved until basically the end of time. Imam Shafi, Wealth, leadership, influence, status above one's peers, all of these things, right? You want to be in power, you want to be in charge, you want people to look at you, you want to make decisions, you want to be the one that everyone praises them, everyone looks towards them, you gain people's praise, gain people's attention, all of this stuff. It's a problem. And then he quotes his verse, and the verse is really, Whoever desires the immediate, we hasten what we will to whomever we will. And whoever wants that thing that comes immediately, we give whatever we want to whatever, whoever we want. But the, the consequence of that is what? The hadith of the person who's thrown into the hellfire. First people that are thrown into the hellfire, right? One of them is the, the person of knowledge, or, or the mujahid, or the person of Qur'an, or the person of charity, different narrations. It's basically these four. It varies between person of knowledge and person of Qur'an, and then person of charity, person of jihad. All of them, they come on the Day of Judgment. Allah asked them, what did you do this for? They said, we did it for you. And Allah says, no, you didn't do it for me. You did it so people would say you were generous. 
You did it so people would say that you recite the Quran. You did it so that people would say you're knowledgeable. You did it so that people would say that you're charitable, so on and so forth. And they did that. So you got what you wanted. So I have nothing left to give you. Allah will tell these people. You got what you wanted. I don't have anything for you now. So they go to hell. It's very scary. SubhanAllah. May Allah aslahalana ya Rabbi. A Qur'an instructor does not dishonor his teaching or her teaching by hoping to obtain some favor by way of an influential student who recites to him, whether the favor is in the form of property or some service, however small, or even a gift that he would not have received had it not been for his student reciting to him. So here we get into like a really tricky issue, right? There's a there's you know like the early the early early position at least in the Hanafi school the early position is that a person cannot get paid for acts of worship or things that should be acts of worship. So if they lead salat they can't get paid for that. They lead Juma they can't get paid for that. They teach Quran they can't get paid for that. That was the early position of the school. Later on in the school they allowed people to get paid for these things out of a necessity in order to preserve the religion. But what is the default? The default is they don't get paid for it. And why is that? So that they don't... Obviously because of this, right? It doesn't, it doesn't mess with your intentions. But now you have a problem, right? The problem is clear. The problem is that if people can't survive doing these things, then who's going to do that, right? It's like, uh, it's like democracy, democracy and nonprofits, they have the same challenge. <laughs> the challenge is what? Whoever has money and time, which are usually related, they're the ones who get to do it. So who are the ones that get to really participate in democracy? Are people with money and time. Who are the people who really get to participate in nonprofits and leadership and community and stuff like that? Are the people with money and time. Right? So now you have a problem. Who, if, if, if you can't get paid to teach, to teach religion, who are going to be the ones who teach religion? Only the ones who already have money and time. Right? So this, there's going to be a sincerity issue. So what is the mechanism that Islamic civilization came up with was the mechanism of endowments. The endowment is set. The endowment is a charitable endeavor that's not linked to a particular donor, right? So even how we run communities now and stuff is actually not probably the healthiest model where like the teacher has to come and they have to collect donations. If you come and you collect donations, at some level you're subject to the community. In some ways, maybe there's a good to that. There's a good to people being accountable to their community and stuff like that. But there's also an issue there because money is complicated. So, but the, the so but so then but then so the challenge becomes the person has to be completely sincere about it, and yet at the same time they have to survive. So it gets really complicated. Yeah. May Allah help us. The teacher takes every precaution to refrain from boasting because of the many people under his tutelage and who patronize him. Any him you can count as him or her. The teacher takes every precaution to refrain from boasting because of the many people under his or her tutelage and who patronize him. So the person, so think about this again. What are most people trying to do online? It's to get more followers, right? And what is it saying? They have to be careful that they don't boast, they don't become arrogant because of how many people are following them. How many people, 
So I have, mashallah, so many students. I have so many people who come. I have so many people who do this. I have so many people who do that. So on and so forth, right? All this becomes an issue. All this becomes very problematic. It becomes very challenging. Um, you know, it's like we said before. If someone calls himself a scholar, it's kind of a question mark. <laughs> you know, like there's an issue. Uh, most scholars won't call themselves scholars. And is that like a form? Is it a show? Is it this? Is that no? It's out of like. It's a protection. It's a protection. You know. Uh, anyways. These afflictions put some ignorant teachers to the test, and they are clear indications of the evil intention and corrupt innermost metal of whoever possesses them. Indeed, they are sure proof of the teacher's lack of desire to teach for the sake of the noble pleasure of Allah Most High. It's heavy. It's strong words, right? Very strong words. Ali radiallahu anhu said, O bearers of knowledge, act according to your knowledge. Since the scholar is the one who acts according to what he has learned and whose knowledge corresponds to his action, there will be groups who possess knowledge that does not go beyond their collarbones. Their action contradicts their knowledge. Their inward state contradicts their outward. They sit in circles vying with one another until a man becomes angry with the one he sits with, so he sits with someone else, leaving the other behind. Their actions in these assemblies of theirs do not ascend to Allah Most High. Molded by good qualities. Sometimes I wish, you know, like, I wish we could just sit and, like, I'll just read the book and we just sit together and I don't have to say anything else. Because <laughs> the words are so beautiful. Really, they. Every time I comment on it, I ruin it. But we're not accustomed to it. Like as it, we don't have this quali- we don't have this tradition, right? Where you just sit and read and listen. So if you try to listen for a few seconds, sometimes it's hard. So that's why I have to. It's like I feel like I'm watching a, a newly edited movie, where like you have to break every seven seconds to cut the scene, or like change the angle or change the lighting. So we stop after every sentence. But really, there's no need. Like the it's it's so strong. Maybe we just read every section twice. Molded by good qualities. Molded by good qualities. The teacher should be molded by the good qualities mentioned in the revelation and the praiseworthy inner qualities and pleasing habits that Allah Most High calls attention to. say this a lot here, but it's just um, part of the reason why we study is because this is our religion. Like, it, it's our religion. It's every single person in the room's religion. As far as I know. And if it's not, inshallah, it will be soon. Um, but it's our religion, you know? Like, it's not it's, 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 it's true and false what people say sometimes. You know, like people say, one of the things about Islam is you don't have any intermediary between you and Allah. It's true, we don't have an intermediary between us and Allah. 
Except what's the shahada? Anyone, what's the shahada? Say the shahada. What's the second half of the shahada? <laughs> is there someone between you and Allah? Kind of. Like there is, but there isn't. The Prophet is, is like, yeah, we have our direct connection, but how do we know the direct connection and what it is and what it looks like and how it should be? We learn it from the Prophet. So we learn because what do the Prophets leave? The Prophets leave knowledge. By the statement of the Prophet. Recently, someone said this in front of me. They were trying to like bash. Uh, Traditional kind of traditional groups and stuff. They're like they always say the scholars are the inheritors of knowledge. I'm like they always say this is the prophet statement. It's not. It's not they always say that. It's the prophet, who said that the scholars are the heirs of the prophets because the scholars are the the prophets don't leave behind wealth. They leave behind knowledge. But how do we know who the scholar is? Is we have to go to the knowledge and we learn and we grow and the purpose of learning is not to create like. Copies of, of, of teachers The purpose of learning is not to uh, Inculcate a, a Never ending dependency upon a teacher That the nature of the dependency on the teacher Should decrease with time at some level At least intellectually Intellectually it decreases with time Maybe you increase in your love You increase in your connection Stuff like that But the, the intellectual side of it Of like this is what the religion is We cannot lose this because that is the standard right? The standard is This is what the religion is And when we hold that standard Then we can use it to it, you know, That the teacher must be molded By the good qualities Mentioned in the revelation right? That's what he's saying The teacher must be molded By the good qualities Mentioned in the revelation The more we study the revelation The more we study the way of the Prophet The more we understand what that is And what it looks like And it's not to be like judgmental Maybe we Maybe there's, there's different kinds of mistakes right? Some are more serious, some are less serious But this helps us have a group understanding And this is one of the principles of the guidance of the Prophet them, Is that the truth is with That the truth is not with one particular group Like this group or that group or so on Not in a particular time nor in a particular place Okay so sometimes you might look and be like, well, they're a minority group in this place, but the truth is with the majority. Well, they might be a minority, minority group in a particular place and time, but over the course of 1400 years, they're the majority actually. So like, make sure we take a broad view on this. But the truth is with the community. And there's, there's a merit and there's a goodness to being in the community and not like isolating ourselves into something that's really small off and so on and so forth. That's why public teaching is actually really important. I notice now, like a lot of people, they want private teaching. I have this private class. Can you do this for us? Can you do that for us? So on and so forth. And what we always tell people is like, there's a public class. Just come to the public class. Like, it's actually better. Like, at least the whole public's here. And it's live streamed and like, it's recorded and it can be checked. It can be reviewed. Maybe we, maybe we start like, la qadr Allah, but maybe we start like veering off the deep end usually happens by minute 27 and every Sunday <laughs> we're, we're literally on minute 27 right now subhanallah <laughs> wow subhanallah
Now we're on minute 28. Yeah. Uh, so, like, you know, maybe you start going off the side. Maybe the person go, at least like there's, there's some, you can deal with it somehow. You know, like we have two, a number, two major problems in our community is the living room teacher and the living room imam that does nikah. You know, both of them are a problem. <laughs> the living, living room nikah, living room teacher. So they go and they teach people and they teach people and there's no check on them. Like you don't know who their teachers are. You don't know where they're getting anything from. They're not, they're not subject to any sort of like public criticism, any sort of public feedback. Like nobody can even, you don't even know what they're saying, right? And then the other thing is the, the, you know, the living room imam thing with like the nikah stuff. No. Anyways, we're not going to go on that one. We've talked about that one too many times. So. So he's now going to mention some of these qualities. They include abstinence in this world, thinking little of it and lacking concern for it and its worldly people. They also include generosity, open-handedness, noble character, a cheerful face, discernment, and self-control. Allahu Akbar. This is going to be, like, really hard. They also include generosity, open-handedness, noble character, a cheerful face, discernment, and self-control. They include avoiding vile forms of income. Adhering to scrupulousness, humility, tranquility, dignity, modesty, submission, and avoiding laughter and frequent play. They also include adhering to religious tasks, such as maintaining cleanliness and removing filth and hair that the sacred law mentions removing, trimming the mustache and nails and combing the beard, and removing offensive smells and offensive clothing. The teacher should be perpetually conscious of Allah Most High, whether alone or in public. I'm going to read this whole section again. It's very common people ask, like, what kind of qualities should we look for in a teacher? It's a very good question. Very good question. Very common question. Um, the ultimate teacher, of course, is the Prophet The more we know the Prophet the more we understand that standard. But I'll read this again. They include abstinence in this world, thinking little of it and lacking concern for it and its worldly people. They also include generosity, open-handedness, noble character, a cheerful face, discernment, and self-control. They include avoiding vile forms of income, adhering to scrupulousness, humility, tranquility, dignity, modesty, submission, and avoiding laughter and frequent play. Doesn't mean you can't laugh. Doesn't mean you can't play just means that the person is about something. And this is, of course, we're again talking about the teacher. Right? They also include adhering to religious tasks, such as maintaining cleanliness and removing filth and hair, that the sacred law mentions removing, trimming the mustache and nails, and combing the beard, and removing offensive smells and offensive clothing. Teachers should be perpetually conscious of Allah Most High, whether alone or in public. Now, is, is it's true that we might not always uh, live up to these things for ourselves, right? But that doesn't mean that that's not what we hope for and expect from our teachers. You know, someone that you're looking at to take religion from, there is a higher standard. You know, that's it's part of the drill. Like, you don't get to have your cake and eat it too. It's one of my favorite proverbs. Because it's, it's just so true, you know? 
I get so often that we want to have our cake and eat it too. Like you want to be in a position of authority, but you don't want the responsibility. You want to be someone that people listen to, but you don't want to work hard in studying. You want to be in a position of leadership and teaching, but you want to be able to act like everyone else. Say, oh, teachers are just human and so on. Yeah, teachers are just human, of course. But, like, they're still teachers. You know? The prophets are masumin for a reason. The, prophet, the, the prophets in all of history were, were protected from sin for a reason. The pro, you know, there's a reason for that. It's because this is the ultimate example. The prophets, alayhim salam. So, there's, there's, there is some issue with this. And I don't think like as much as I, I think that I, I think it's important to maintain certain standards. You know? Like they say if, if the bar is too high, you have two options. One option is you lower the bar. The other option is you strengthen your legs. And I think that it's better for us generally to strengthen our legs. <laughs> you know, it might not be that uh, you know, in particular cases, be gentle with people, be kind to people, so on and so forth. But especially when we're talking about something like this, you strengthen your legs. You don't just throw out everything. Like, it's all, it's all gone. Yeah. Uprooting sicknesses of the heart. He must take every precaution from the sicknesses of the heart, such as envy, pride, showing off, and thinking little of others, even if they are beneath him. He must not see himself as better than anyone else. Oh man, there's a possibility the earth might swallow me whole before I finish this section. You must take every precaution from the sicknesses of the heart, such as envy, pride, showing off, and thinking little of others, even if they are beneath him. This means like in status, right? Like some people are um, socially in a higher status than other people. Just because someone's socially in a higher status or lower status than you, doesn't mean that you get to think that you're better than them. And they must not see themselves as better than anyone else. This is the principle. As you mentioned before, Imam al-Sha'rani, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that the believers in general, that they benefit from each other spiritually. The believers benefit from each other spiritually. But it's like as if you have pools of water, and the water only flows downhill. It only flows downhill. So if the person thinks that they're better than everyone else, they don't get any water. It doesn't come to them. Being kind and accommodating. The teacher should be kind to whomever recites to him, welcoming him and being well-mannered with him in accordance to his circumstances. It's a very important condition. In accordance to their circumstances. You don't expect something from someone that they don't have. Like if someone's very poor and you go to their home, you don't expect them to give you a huge meal. They'll give you something. They might give you some tea, a biscuit. So they'll, they'll have good manners in accordance with their circumstances. It also might be the case that the person can't accommodate you 
at the time when you come. Right? Maybe maybe they can't, uh, they don't have time for it. Maybe they just got in an argument with their family. Maybe their kids had an issue. Maybe, any number of things, right? So they had an appointment, but they had to cancel their appointment. Uh, Americans were very strict on this stuff. You know, you have an appointment, you never cancel your appointment. It was a very big culture class when we went to Egypt to study. <laughs> the teachers would be like, you guys say in America the customer is always on, always on, what is it? How does it go? It's a boon daimen al What is it in English? Always customer is always right. They're like, no. You're not always right. You're my student. I don't care if you're paying. It means nothing to me. I'm here to teach you. And I'm going to tell you what to do. And you didn't do your homework. You're going to do your homework and I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to come late. If I come late, you're going to sit there and wait. That's what it is. Because you want this or you don't want this. You know? Sometimes it goes the other extreme. American culture is one extreme, sometimes it goes to the other extreme. But according to their circumstances. He should make every effort to be sincere with whomever recites to him, given that sincere advice to others is obligatory. And they are even more worthy of it. It's very important that we learn how to give each other sincere advice. It's really important. We have a problem now because things went too far one way, where everyone was giving advice to everyone all the time about things that they probably shouldn't even be giving them advice about, and still happens a lot of times, you know. Uh, like the general rule is, don't give advice. If you're not sure whether or not you should give the advice, don't give the advice. Think about it first. Consider it. Think about how you're going to do it, whether or not you should say it, so on and so forth. But we still have to be able to give each other advice. And actually a lot of problems that happen in community and stuff, but maybe they could be prevented if advice had been given. When it was, when it was a good time to give it, you know? Step in, like there's oftentimes multiple points where an intervention can be had before things get bigger. And sometimes you do it and it doesn't work, you know? It's not about whether or not it works. Sayyidina Musa salam. Someone asked me one time, they're like, why? Sayyidina Musa is going to Pharaoh and he's giving him, he's calling him to worship Allah. But it seems like very, very unlikely Pharaoh is going to worship Allah. So why does he have to go do that? He has to go do that because... Uh, he has to, like, that's his job. Accept it, don't accept it, that's his job. He has to do it, you know. Sometimes you have to give advice, even you know it's not going to be accepted. It's very hard. The teacher must be open-handed. No, the teacher should not be arrogant towards his students. The teacher should not be arrogant towards his students. The teacher must be open-handed by teaching students gently, being kind towards them, encouraging them to learn, and harmonizing their hearts. He teaches them that the scholars are the inheritors of the prophets. He is mindful of his students' well-being, just as he is mindful of his own and his sons. 
It's an important point, you know. Again, especially the culture we live in. We kind of live in a culture where, and, and, and we should recognize this. I don't know what the solution is to it. I really don't. But we need to recognize it. And it's, 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 it's even more right now in some ways than it, maybe it was in the past. General thrust in American culture is, if you want to do something, you have to destroy yourself or almost destroy yourself and destroy all of your relationships in the process. That's how you show that you really care about that thing. And it shows itself, in the old days, it showed itself in the cowboy. The first archetype is the cowboy in the movies and stuff. The cowboy is what? They're always alone. They can't maintain a relationship. They can't have a family. They, they can't be part of a community. They just have to put it all on the line for the sake of this idea, you know? Then after that, it morphs into the detective, right? The hard-nosed detective. Relationships are lost. Same thing. All of the same things happen, but now they're a detective. Then it becomes like a superhero. All of the, they're all the same archetype. In, in practical, like modern, like our actual day, entrepreneurs are like that, right? What is the expectation of the entrepreneur? The entrepreneur puts it all on the line. They destroy everything. They, go, they push themselves to the, brink, to the brink of destroying everything. That's what it means to really be about this thing, right? So sometimes then when it comes to community, it happens also. We expect someone who works in the community to do the same, which is obviously like really bad. Imagine, like, you have someone, they're the, they're the imam, so you look at them as the religious symbol. And you want the religious, you expect from the religious symbol, spoken or unspoken, that they will push themselves in the task of their work to the absolute breaking point of themselves and their family every single day. That's a bad system. Because a lot of times, they're going to break themselves. And they're going to break their families. And like, that's going to be an actual thing. You don't want that, right? We don't want that. That's a bad thing. Then like the person ends up with a broken relationship, their relationship with their kids is all messed up, and now that's your example for the community. It's not a good example, right? It's a system problem sometimes. Sometimes it's personal, but sometimes it's system, right? Our expectations. Same thing, we do the same thing for volunteers. We expect volunteers to just give and give and give and give and give and give and give, and give until they break. And that's why, like, a lot of times, you know, for the most part in the majlis, I try not to ask people to do anything. It's not because I don't want you to do something. You just watch and pay attention and talk to other people and see if you can do something and do it and make the decision on your own. But if I come and I start telling you, you should do this, and you should do that, and we need more from you and this kind of stuff, it's going to get really problematic, right? People are going to push themselves, they're going to break themselves. Sometimes we, like, it's very common, right, in institutions. You have the volunteers, they push themselves, push themselves, and then they break. And they come later and they, you know, it's not, it's not a good system. All of this is because he said, he is mindful of his students' well-being, just as he is mindful of his own and his son's, his children, right? So the teacher is mindful for their own well-being, they're mindful for the well-being of their children, they're mindful for the well-being of their students. Don't push them too hard, pay attention. Okay, I asked, I'm asking too much of them right now. It's, 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 it requires some sort of understanding of people and their situations and stuff. The teacher assumes the role of the student's father by having compassion for him or mother. 
concern for his or her well-being, and patience with his roughness and ill manners. He even pardons his students' poor behavior in some circumstances. This is also really important. The teacher will often uh, be very patient with students' behavior. Sometimes I think back on stuff, I'm like, man, if our teachers weren't really patient with us, it would be really bad. Because there's so many times where we did things that like, it's really hard because when you don't know something, you don't really know something. You don't understand. Like you don't get like, okay, that wasn't really the right thing. I shouldn't have done it that way. I shouldn't have asked that way. I shouldn't have done this. You can't understand. Sometimes they'll clarify it, of course. They might say something. I remember one time I was sitting with the sheikh. And he said something. And I tried to like make some sort of smart joke about what he said. He just stopped, paused. I, I, I can't say what he's going to say because then some people will know who it was. Uh, but basically his comment was like, you know, we should be careful of the things that we say. He didn't say what you're saying is wrong. It was actually really rude. In retrospect, like what I said was actually really rude. Um, and love for goodness. This life, you know, how many times, like, if you think about your children, how many times are we patient with our children's mistakes? Are you so, like, yeah, sometimes you correct them. Sometimes this is, like, a little bit too much. You have to stop it. But you know if you correct every single thing, you're not going to have any relationship with your child. So some things you have to let them go. You let it go. You let it go. And sometimes you're like, okay, that's too much. You have to be careful with that one. Uh, the teacher gently admonishes him or her about the ugliness of those acts so that they do not repeat them. The teacher, without exception, should like for his student what he likes for himself and dislike for him the shortcomings he dislikes in himself. Without exception. Like, inshallah, one day I don't have to teach anymore. <clears throat> it should come sooner rather than later since there's not that much to catch up to. But there will be other people to teach and then, you know, we can just attend and enjoy. And I see it. I really do. Like, there's a generation. It might get interrupted a little bit because a lot of people stopped going overseas to study. But there was a generation who went and we didn't really know what we were doing. So a lot of time was wasted. And then there's a generation that came after that who didn't do that. So you can see very clearly, like, they've accomplished things in, um, in the same period of time that we spent that's far greater than what we accomplished. It just needs, like, another five, ten years before they come back and they start teaching and stuff like that. Inshallah. And then, you know, we're retired. Early retirement. Inshallah. I don't know how that will make sense. But <clears throat> Teaching the merits of knowledge and manners The teacher should mention the superiority of learning to the student So that it causes him to be eager and increases his desire Making him abstinent from this world and desirous of the afterlife You know, like I said in the beginning, this is our religion 
like, we should want it, you know? Like, I want this thing. I want to understand, like, how this thing works. I want to, I want to feel like I stand on my own two feet in this. Not in this, you never, will never be, like, fully not dependent on other people. It doesn't work that way. Like, human life doesn't really work that way. We're always dependent on other people, you know? There's going to be issues, there's going to be conversations, discussions, things that you refer to, so on and so forth. But I want to feel like I really got this thing. You know? Like if you were to take me and drop me somewhere with a handful of books, we're going to be alright. That should, that should really be like, you know, like you could take me, give me like the Quran, obviously, a couple books of Hadith, a couple books of Fiqh, Maybe a book or two of spirituality. Basic things. Maybe like ten books. And you drop me anywhere, we're going to be alright. We're going to make community. We're going to bring people together. We're going to teach people. We're going to bring them to Islam. Even if there's no Muslims around. Like drop me in the middle of non-Muslims. Nobody around. Ten books. And I can do this. You should feel like that. Not out of like arrogance. But out of like, I know my religion well enough that I can do that. Not, not, not only do I know it, but I am it. Like, this is who I am. I understood it. It became part of my flesh and bones. It became who I am, right? And you can put me anywhere now, and I'm going to handle this thing. And, you know, honestly, like a generation of people before us, they did that. For all of the complaints and all of the shortcomings and lack of professionalism and all kinds of issues that maybe happened, a couple of generations before our generation, they did that. People came, like... There was no masjid in Southern California, if you can imagine. If you go back like 50 years, 60 years, that's it. It's not a long time. There's no masjid. There's like one Jummah. You go to a Jummah in like some park, you know? That's a huge thing. People really were like, okay, I don't know everything that I need to know, but I know enough to know that this is my religion, and this is my Lord, and this is my prophet, and I'm not giving this thing up. And I'm going to use my mind, and I'm going to use my heart, and I'm going to use everything that I have, and I'm going to make something of this. Like, I, I want to feel like this, right? So, with the superiority of learning, like, I want to have some, I want to keep, like, I want to, I want to have this, you know? The teacher should be fully committed to teaching, prefer, preferring it over his personal worldly matters that are not critical. It is recommended that he empty his heart of all preoccupying matters, and there are many... And there are many known to us while sitting for their recitation. It is recommended that he be resolved to making his students understand. Wow, what a what a paragraph. The role of the teacher is to teach. And they prefer teaching over everything else, even their worldly benefit if it's not critical. So you might find someone if they were to do something else, they might be capable of making a lot of money, you know, living a very comfortable life, so on and so forth. But they don't do it. Because they can survive teaching, and so they teach. That's what they're supposed to do. It's not like, bravo, Alek. That's what you're supposed to do, actually. <laughs> you know? Uh, it is recommended that he or she empty their heart of all preoccupying matters while sitting for their recitation, for the reciters of Qur'an, right? I mean, they sit down to teach, 
You know, part of the reason why I love certain old reciters from Egypt, specifically I love Sheikh al-Husri, rahimahullah ta'ala. For me, there's no one like Sheikh al-Husri. And part of the reason for that is that I personally feel, when I listen to Sheikh al-Husri, rahimahullah, it's almost like time stops. You know what I mean? Like you hear him reciting, and you don't feel like he's reciting in 19, whatever, 52 or something. You feel like there's no year, and there's no time, and there's just these words. So when the teacher comes to teach, everything that would preoccupy him, they have to leave it. And the only thing that's happening in that moment is that they're teaching. One of the shaykh that we used to go to, Shaykh Ali Saleh, Hafidhullah, told fi Amrihi. I've told you about him before, you know. He's the one that lives lives behind Al Azhar, close to Babzuwayla. Anyone know Babzuwayla? Any Muslim maybe know? Babzuwayla is like if you go, uh, if you're going on Shari Al Azhar, and you put Azhar on your left, and you put Hussein on your right, and you go down a little bit, and then there's like. Khan Khalili's to your right and Sharia Mu'izz's to your right and to your left is Ghuriya. The mark, old marketplace. You walk, if you walk through Ghuriya and you keep going, eventually you hit Babzuwayla. Babzuwayla was one of the old gates of the city. They used to watch the Hajjaj leave from there. That was where the Hajj, Hajj caravan would leave from. So, Sheikh, Sheikh Ali, uh, Hafidhullah, Sheikh Ali Saneh, he lives like just around the corner from outside Babzuwayla. We used to go to him, subhanAllah. And um, we would pay him like pennies, you know. Paying people for teaching is a really challenging thing. Especially if you're in another country and that country's poor and you're more wealthy and stuff like that. It's very, like it's a thin line between giving someone more and respecting their honor, you know. At some point, they might feel like you're disrespecting them, you know? So it's a very thin line. Like, so we paid him what he asked us to pay him, which was some outrageously cheap amount of money. I forget what it was. I feel like it was like 10 guinea an hour or something. Which the guinea then was not 1 to 20, it was 1 to 6, but still it's outrageously cheap. I'm talking like a dollar fifty, right? And he would be like, you can come for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever. I forget what the time is. And every single time we go to his house and he start teaching, he forget the time. You know, every time. It would be going, we're going late. It would be like, I forget what time it was. Maybe nine o'clock at night, something like that. You know, eight, nine at night. We go to his house and he just start teaching. He starts teaching, he just gets lost. You know, time just goes and goes and goes. And of course, we don't remind him because like... <laughs> You're happy. Sit with the shaykh. It is recommended that he be resolved to making his students understand. Here's what you explain and you explain and you explain. You have patience over it. Sometimes people don't get it. You have to keep explaining, keep explaining, keep explaining until they get it. It's not that like you only teach the, the smartest people, quote unquote. 
or like people who people who understand things like very quickly some people understand very quickly some people take some more time it's okay in the end it's both of them need to understand their religion right he should give each student what is suitable for him that is he should not give a greater workload to one who cannot bear the increase nor should he lessen the load for one who can bear the addition the teacher should gradually discipline the student so that he may have excellent manners and a pleasant disposition that he struggle against his lower self nefs by applying subtle tactics the teacher should habituate him so as to safeguard all of his students affairs both private and public he's saying the teacher is not only educating them intellectually but they're educating them in their relationship with Allah help them help them to grow help them to be better people help them to be good in their public and their private the teacher should urge him repeatedly in words and in deeds to have sincerity be truthful have perfect intentions and to be vigilant of Allah most high at all times there's something important in this which is that it's true for the teacher it's true for the student Nobody can do it for you. Okay? Yeah, there's blessings in being with certain people. There's blessings in being in certain gatherings. Nobody can do anything for you. If you have a problem with being honest, you have a problem with being honest. No one's going to solve that but you. If you have a problem with seeking fame, you have a problem with seeking fame. Nobody's going to solve it but you. The teacher doesn't solve it by teaching over and over again. The student doesn't solve it by listening over and over again. Inshallah, it's a reminder, it helps them. But there's actual work in the heart that has to happen. And everybody has to do it for themselves. And nobody's going to do it for you. They can help you, of course. Like if you have a good coach in basketball, they're going to help you be a good basketball player. But you still have to play. You still have to practice. You have to play. You have to put in the work. If you're lazy, you're lazy. You, know, you can have the best coach in the world. If you're lazy, you're lazy. That's all there is to it. And the same thing goes for teaching. Same thing goes for studying. Many students are like this. Many teachers are like this. It's really easy, actually, to read the book, right? It's much harder to do what's in the book. It's very easy to listen to the book. It's much harder to do what's in the book. So, you know, Allah help us. Allah give us tawfiq. The teacher should inform him or her that through all of this, the light of spiritual knowledge will open to him. And her heart will also be opened. And the wellsprings of wisdom and subtleties will gush forth from her heart and Allah will bless her in her work and state of being giving her success in whatever she says and does so what is the thing here the thing here is that if you learn and you worship what is the idea the idea is that there's knowledge that is in the mind and there's knowledge that is in the heart when we have the knowledge that's in the mind and we force our bodies to align with that knowledge, then we open the gateway for the knowledge of the heart. So what he's saying is the teacher should inform them that through this, through doing these things, the heart will now be exposed to the possibility of attaining the actual goal of all of this. The actual goal of all of it is to know Allah. All of it. The actual goal of all of it. All of the ups and downs and the details and the intricacies and the, all of this stuff. The actual goal of all of it is to know Allah. So we try to learn properly. We try to do those things. When we do that, then the light 
the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can enter the heart, the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can enter the heart. And Allah will give tawfiq, and Allah will bless the person. Allah is shakur. Right? Allah is shakur. Allah is... Uh, he rewards for that which we give. Right? Are there any questions or comments or observations or disagreements or reflections or whatever other words would be appropriate that any of you have? Oh, a lot of you. Okay. Yes. Allah is shakur. It's hard to translate. Shakur is from shukr, which is gratitude, right? So what it means is that Allah does not leave something that is done for His sake without recompense. So we believe that like, if we do something, Allah gives us for that. Now and later. Now and later. We don't do it for that reason. We do it because He's Allah. But because He's Allah, He'll also give us.
Allah, I'm doing this because you're Allah. Okay. And you love this. Okay. I know that's why I'm doing it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not wrong if you say, I'm intending to do this because there's a reward in it or so on. Of course, that's fine. But it's different to say, like, and it's there, it's, it's in the hadith, right? The hadith about the Prophet Sallallahu praying in the night until his ankles swell. She asked him, Why do you do this when everything is forgiven? said, should I not be a grateful servant? The grateful servant is saying what? Say, Allah, I'm doing this because you're Allah. Sit. Like that's, that's, that's the worship of the prophets. That's the worship of the righteous people. You know? So it's okay to say, Allah, I'm doing this because I don't want you to punish me. That's okay too. <laughs> you know? Allah, I'm not doing this because I don't want your punishment. That's okay too. Sometimes it takes that. But hopefully we, at the letters and the letters, we... Get to the point where it's because Allah loves, Allah loves it. We do it for that reason. Amy. Well, I was actually wondering how much of this um, advice is crosses over to a secular environment. So if you're because you're teaching, but you're also exampling yourself as a as a Muslim. And, and uh, yeah, so how, I mean, you're not, you're not as high of a teacher, obviously, you're teaching religious knowledge, but it seems like good aspirations in general, so. Yeah. Yeah, like if you're teaching, say for example, you're teaching and you might be teaching non-Muslims, or you might be teaching Muslims, and part of that is that you want to maybe like set a good example. Show a good example, something like that. Is this? Yeah. That can be okay. Um, we just have to be careful because it's a thin line. You, I don't think it's as dangerous in like teaching kids, for example. Like, you know, you're teaching. Maybe you're teaching middle school, even high school, and you want to set a good example. And, you know, give them a good impression of Islam and stuff. Those are all good intentions. And we just have to be vigilant with ourselves. Because many things that start off with good intentions, they, they slide. And so we just have to be careful. That's why we always renew our intentions. Because it can slip. You know. What starts off is I want to set a good example for them. Then becomes like, I want them to respect me. I want to be known as such and such. It starts, things get very slippery. And that's true. It's true with the religious teaching too. Like, it's true with a lot, like a lot of people who are imams and a lot of people like us, you know. You might start off with a good intention and then it slips for any number of reasons. May Allah protect us. And if I could follow up, there was one, um, quality of Bismillah. Yeah. yeah. Play and laugh with children. It's good. Yeah. But I think uh, the idea, I think, is that again, like, and probably we've seen this. I've seen this a lot. Where people who are like religious teachers, they're trying to be funny. And sometimes they like cross the line. Or if they don't cross the line, they. 
do things that are like not really appropriate you know might not technically be aligned but it's not really becoming of the position you know but I think when you're there's many different ways to play and joke and stuff like that too you know and of course there's some there is a level of cultural elements here you know to I think the idea is that the person doesn't play and joke so much that it takes away from everything else their dignity and their honor and their comportment and all of these kind of things um and it doesn't lower their, <clears throat> or so much so that it lowers their um, kind of like esteem in the, the, peop- the eyes of the people, you know. Because people should be able to respect their teacher. But if their teacher's always joking, always joking, always joking, then you're kind of like, I know it's hard to respect the person at that point, you know. But there's a little bit, of, there's a cultural element there. Like, for example, we saw, <clears throat> this is not to say one is right or not. But like the way you would see some of the mashaykh that are from Syria act, it's very different than the way you would see some of the mashaykh from Egypt act. Just culturally, they're very different. Like the Syrian shuyukh have a very stern culture. You know, they're very stern, very strong, very controlled, very contained. You know, that's their thing. Egyptians, you know, they're always joking. They would be like the biggest scholar in the world. You're going to sit with them. They're going to joke. They're going to joke. They're going to laugh. And then they'll, they'll know when to stop too, and they'll know when to like be kind of firm, and stuff like that. But you know, there's yeah. Shalom, that helps. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so knowledge of the I had mentioned something about knowledge of the mind and knowledge of the heart and how they have to be aligned can I say more about that um, could I give you an example so I think it's a good thing to do, for example, to um, do like a course or a class or a seminar or something on how to improve your prayer, right? You might, you know, learn about the things in the prayer, what they look like, what you think about them, so on and so forth. And hopefully that'll have some benefit in the person's prayer, right? But I can say for a fact, like, I can think of a person who... I, I don't think I really understood prayer and du'a until I saw them do prayer and du'a. And it wasn't like, and it wasn't maybe what some people might think. Like it wasn't, you know, you, you imagine like someone who's really like crying and weeping and their prayer is super long. It wasn't that actually. Actually, the person's prayer was pretty standard. But you can tell they were really in it. You know, it wasn't overly, uh, not overly, but it wasn't, like longer than normal. It's very standard prayer. Like maybe you stand up for Dhuhr, you pray for five minutes. They stood up for Dhuhr, they prayed for five minutes. But I felt like, subhanAllah, that was a very interesting five minutes. You felt something different about it. So that's something that's in the heart. What can you use it? I don't know. Like what can you? So I could know that in my heart, but I could know everything there is to know about prayer. And I could stand up in prayer, and there's nothing going on in my heart in prayer. 
you know. Uh, so then there's there's a, there's one side of the knowledge that's missing. But hopefully, if we do what we're supposed to do, we stay away from bad things and so on and so forth. Eventually, that knowledge of the heart, the knowledge of the heart, is more complicated in the sense that it's uh, it's tajribi, like it's it's adhoti, it's uh, it's experiential. It's it's not a I don't know, like you can't. It, it, it reminds me actually in some ways of like some things in martial arts. I've said this before. Like if you go to uh, like a lot of jujitsu classes, you go to the jujitsu class and they'll do a warm up and then the professor will show like the technique for the day. And you'll train it a couple times. And like the first time you try it, it's really clumsy. And you try it again, it's still clumsy. You might do it like another 15 times and it gets less and less clumsy each time. And then it's like not clumsy at all, it's totally natural, but you still don't really get it. And you know, because like when you train with the person who's a black belt, they do the same technique on you and it feels totally different. But it's the same thing, but it's totally different. So like that knowledge has settled in a different way. This is obviously not the same, but that knowledge has settled in a different way. There's like a settle. When it comes to the knowledge of the heart, there's a settling to it. Like I have to really sit with this thing. It has, to, it has to kind of penetrate. And some people that will come very easily with, some people it won't. This is also kind of what can be frustrating. Uh, someone might make intention to change their life and they do it really fast. Because they had like really good foundations. They had really good parents. They had a really great upbringing. They... They had really great opportunities in life and so on and so forth. And of course, they're more responsible because of that with a lie. Everyone has their own responsibility, but it might be easy for them. Other people might have significant trauma in their lives. And so like they're trying to fix something and it takes 20 years. They just can't fix the thing. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't happen in the same way. You know, and that's that's also one of the reasons why, you know, one of the things that I feel like more and more time very strongly about is we really need to do something about this abuse issue in our communities. This abuse thing, like, it's really hard to... Uh, there's psychological consequences, psycho-spiritual, emotional consequences that take a really long time to fix. And they make it so that it's harder to fix things. You know? So, anyways, I don't want to open that one too much, but... But whatever it is, I guess one thing that I'll say, whatever it is for the person, as long as we focus on everything other than Allah, we get lost. If we focus on Allah, we're okay. So it might take one person 20 years to change something. It doesn't matter if they're focused on Allah. It's 20 years I spent with Allah. The other person, it might make, take them two years. It's two years they spent with Allah, it's fine. They spent 18 years on something else, it's fine. But both of them in the end spent 20 years with Allah. And Allah rewards however He wants to reward. Any benefit, he, you know, it's, it's fine. But if we focus on like, I've said this before, even about knowledge, right? Like some, again, some people will pick up things faster than other people. You could sit there and be like, oh, they learned more than me. I'm not that smart. So, or you could say, I'm doing this for Allah. It might take me longer, but I'm still with Allah. It's okay. And, you know, I might not get to the person, I'm, you know, I might not get where the other person gets, but as long as I'm with Allah, I'm okay. And the same thing with our spiritual journeys. Like we have to, sometimes we're too hard on ourselves. 
This guy really wants the coffee. You want the coffee? Bad. It's not going to benefit you. I don't think it's going to benefit you. Allahu a'lam. Salli al Nabi bas. Huh? Yeah, he was a land in what he All right, what else? Anyone else? Yes. Sorry, I think I missed the portion right after. Um, you mentioned the, uh, it was like uh, treating water as if it's going downhill. I know where I said that. So it was on the sentence he must not he must not see himself as better than anyone else. And then we started the section on being kind and accommodating. The teacher should be kind to whoever recites to them, welcoming them and being well mannered with them in accordance to their circumstances. I don't know which part, but yeah, be be in, in accordance with their circumstances. I kind of spent some time on that. That. People's circumstances might differ, you know? Uh, I don't know. Anyone on the, the regala, on the men's side? All right, we have an official close. I was asked to give an official close. Official close, you can get up and get food. And if you stay, I'll stay. But we officially close. Allah, we ask you to forgive us and to accept from us. Give us good in this life and the next. Help us in all of our affairs. Give us knowledge that benefits us and benefit us with that you have given us. Reward, reward our parents and our teachers and our loved ones. Protect our teachers and our loved ones and our parents. Ya Allah, forgive us and our, and our children and protect them as well. Allah, we ask you for good wherever it might be. And we ask you protection from harm wherever it might be. We ask that you guide us to you in everything that we do. Allahumma ameen. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alayhi wa sallam. Alhamdulillah. Jazakum Allah khairan.